questions been below me? Question number one, Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I welcome an announcement from the Government this week that tougher sentences, an end to early release, and a complete review of the management of convicted terrorists are among a range of measures designed to strengthen this country's response to terrorism. A promise made by this Prime Minister and a promise delivered. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that would the Prime Minister agree with me that we need to do everything we can, whatever it takes, to stop the sickening terrorist attacks from taking place? Uh, Mr. Speaker, my honourable friend is absolutely right about the threat that we face, and that is why this government is putting more resources into catching terrorists, and that is why we have announced a major shift in the UK's approach to the sentencing and management of terrorist offenders. This government will do all that we can to keep our people safe. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. <clears throat> Next Monday we'll be commemorating Holocaust Memorial Day. It's a time for us for all to reflect on the horrors of the past and remind us of the evils of Nazism, genocide, anti-Semitism and indeed all forms of racism which we must always all be implacably determined to root out wherever it appears. And this Saturday, Mr Speaker, hundreds of millions of people will be celebrating Chinese New Year around the world and I'm sure the Prime Minister will join me in welcoming the Year of the Rat and uh, invite all Chinese people to have a great time. Mr Speaker, if a worker earning just over £12,500 a year receives a £300 bonus, how much of that bonus does the Prime Minister think that worker should be allowed to keep? Prime Minister. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, let me go in the right honourable gentleman uh, in what he said about the importance of Holocaust Memorial Day and, of course, in stamping out anti-Semitism and the resurgence of anti-Semitism uh, in, our, in our country. And uh, on his point about uh, the, uh, the low paid, I think perhaps the best answer I can give to him is to remind him that just this week, uh, this government increased the living wage by the biggest ever amount so that people on the living wage will be receiving an extra £1,000 a year. And if he wants, if he wants a further, uh, further uh, elucidation on his point, perhaps he could, perhaps he could answer a better question. Answer a better question. <laughs> Mr Speaker, Greg's... Greggs are currently giving 25,000 workers a £300 bonus, but some of those workers on universal credit will only be allowed to keep £75 out of that £300. And if the Prime Minister can answer that question and show me that's just and fair, I'll buy him a vegan roll from Greggs myself. But the first aim of universal credit, which is set to affect 6 million people, was to make work pay. But when low-paid workers can't even keep their own bonuses, it's clear the government is punishing, not supporting people. Will the Prime Minister do something to ensure that workers at companies like Greggs, on low pay, will be allowed to keep their bonuses? Prime Minister. 
uh, Mr Speaker, under this government, uh, people on low pay will be able to keep more of the money than they are. And it is, it is, it is, it is, it is this, it is this government, it is this government that is cutting national insurance contributions for everybody in the, in the country. It is this government uh, that is increasing the living wage. And it was the right honourable gentleman who voted against tax cuts for the low paid to the tune of £7,800. The Prime Minister himself fought with unbelievable levels of energy to protect the banker's bonus. Why can't he do something about the low paid on very low wages who need to be allowed to keep the bonus they've got? The Resolution Foundation report published yesterday highlighted serious distress caused by the dysfunctional nature of the universal credit system. One claimant says, sometimes you're starving, another said it was horrendous, and another said, it's very hard for me because I'm not very good at computers. Does the Prime does the Prime Minister think that universal credit is meeting its second aim of making the social security system simpler? Yes, indeed, Mr Speaker, we are making the social uh, security system sim simpler because we have massively reduced unemployment. And, and I can tell him on his, on his specific point about about Greggs. Uh, uh, as far as I understand the situation, uh, Greggs is producing record figures, uh, £7 million extra. One person, I believe, has complained about the bonus uh, system that he, that he re remarks upon, but it is in the context of unparalleled uh, growth in employment. 359,000 more jobs in this country this year than last year, and the IMF, the IMF now confirming that the UK economy will grow faster than the rest of the than the Eurozone. When is he going to stop talking Britain down and start recognising the extraordinary achievements of the UK economy? The real issue is, Mr Speaker, that many people in work are also in poverty and have to access universal credit. Almost a million on zero-hours contracts and actually more people rough sleeping than ever before. Those are the issues that ought to be concerning the Prime Minister. The third aim of universal credit, it was claimed, was to reduce poverty, but we know it's having the opposite effect. Under this government, 65 million meals were handed out by the Trussell Food Banks over the last five years. The five-week delay for new claimants is leaving people without enough money to cover basic needs. Why isn't the Prime Minister taking action to end this punitive and vicious five-week wait for benefits? Uh, Mr Speaker, universal credit has in fact succeeded in getting 200,000 people into jobs and contrary to, what he, contrary to what he says, the number of people in poverty has diminished by 400,000 under this government. Contrary to what he says, wages have been increasing solidly for the last 22 months and you know, Labour is supposed to have had a period of, of reflection Mr. Speaker, since the, the last election. They are supposed to have been reflecting on the results of the last general election. They have decided, as far as I understand it, that what they want is even more Corbynism, Mr. Speaker. A, a four-day four week, increases in taxes on uh, working people, uh, uncontrolled immigration from everywhere. I refer the right honourable gentleman to the answer the British people yeah. gave to him four weeks ago. Jeremy Corbyn. 
Wouldn't it be truly wonderful if the Prime Minister answered a question about universal credit? He's dodged every question on it. The reality is that about half of the people going on to universal credit are worse off as a result of it. And the same is true of the very cruel and callous two-child limit under universal credit which caps benefits for larger families. There are half a million more children living in poverty than there were in 2010, and the number of children in deprivation has soared in the last few years. Why won't the Prime Minister just have the guts to admit that there is a link between poverty and the two-child limit? Uh, Mr Speaker, the, the right honourable gentleman can't accuse me of failing to answer the question. When I, I answered the question very clearly uh, a couple of times. There are 400,000 fewer people in poverty. There's been a reduction, a uh, substantial reduction in child poverty. He doesn't like the answers. The reality is that there is a massive increase in employment. There is growth in this economy. And uh, let me tell you, Mr Speaker, I really think that it is time the Labour Party changed their tune. I'm, I was, I was, uh, I've got some good news. I've got some good news for the leader of the Labour Party. Uh, he was voted uh, by Labour members as the most popular Labour leader since records began. I, I want him to know, I want him to know that those, those sentiments are warmly shared by many on this side of the House. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, the Labour Party will never abandon the poor of this country. Levels of child poverty are a national scandal. The Prime Minister seems unable, incapable or unwilling to answer that question. Universal credit had three aims. It was meant to make work pay. Low paid workers are not allowed to even keep their bonuses. It was meant to be simple but has created mind numbing complexity. It was meant to reduce poverty. It's driving people to food banks. As we've seen today, the Prime Minister isn't able to answer questions on it. The fact is, this government has baked in austerity for tens of millions of people. When will he finally accept that the universal credit system is broken, is damaging, is dangerous to people's living standards, and it should go? Prime Minister. That must have looked good in the Mr. Mr. Speaker, the right honourable gentleman wants to do nothing else except keep people in the welfare trap. Stop. Stop helping people out of welfare and into work. And I think actually he should pay tribute to all the people who, by their hard work, have found fantastic jobs over the last year. And he should pay tribute to the growth in employment in the UK economy. And quite frankly, Mr. Speaker, it is this government that is getting on with delivering on the priorities of the British people. 40 new hospitals, 50,000 50, more nurses, 20,000 more police officers, Mr. Speaker. And all the, the, the Labour Party is still split from top to toe, Mr Speaker, about whether to stay in the EU or to remain run by the EU. They still can't make up their mind. He still can't make up their, his mind. We deliver on the people's priorities. Mr Speaker, can I welcome Ofsted's annual report on our schools release this week showing great progress. Not least that 86% of schools are now rated good or outstanding. And with every school in Mansfield set to benefit from a funding increase later this year, government can be proud of the progress it's making, but there's more to do. Not least dealing with those 14% of schools that still don't reach that standard, many of which are based in areas that experience all sorts of other inequalities too. So what more can our honourable friend do to support, to intervene in those schools, uh, to level up our education system and make sure 
where every child can access a good education regardless of their postcode. Prime Minister. Well, I congratulate my honourable friend on the passion he he brings to this debate and to this and to this subject, and he is entirely right. And uh, he should look at Ofsted's most recent report, which shows that standards about the kids uh, he and I care about are rising. 86% of schools now rated good and outstanding. Of course, there is more to do. That's why we're investing 40 billion more. But I compare the performance. I must say, I'm regretfully obliged to compare the performance of, of those schools that my honourable friend uh, draws attention to with the scores in Scotland, where through, where, through no fault, where through no fault of the pupils' performance in maths and science are at a record low. And perhaps the, the honourable gentleman who is about to rise to his feet like a rocketing pheasant uh, will, explain, will explain why his party is still so obsessed with breaking up our union rather than delivering for the children and the pupils of Scotland. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I associate myself with the remarks that were made for Holocaust Memorial Day next Monday? We should always stand up against anti-Semitism and any form of racism. Mr Speaker, last night the Lords voted to reinstate the Sewell Convention, that the devolved governments must give consent to legislation that affects them. Devolution is under attack from this Tory government. Powers are being grabbed back to Westminster. There is no respect for the people of Scotland, for Wales and Northern Ireland, their governments or their decisions. Yesterday, the Welsh Assembly became the third devolved parliament to refuse consent for the Tory Brexit bill. Why is the UK government ignoring the principle of consent for our national government. Mr Speaker, the right honourable gentleman knows full well that it is no part or implication of the Sewell Convention to break up the oldest and most successful political union in the world. Uh, Mr Speaker, that the Prime Minister ignores the Smith Commission, that recognises it's up to the people of Scotland to determine their future. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister just doesn't get it. This is an unprecedented attack. Scotland said no, and we meant it. Not only does the Prime Minister not have a legislative mandate for his bill, he doesn't. As the benches opposite Bray, it's clear that this place simply doesn't accept the reality that the Scottish Parliament speaks for the people of Scotland. The devolution settlement must be respected. Prime Minister, all three devolved parliaments and even the House of Lords have called on you to end your government's attack on devolution. Will the Prime Minister stop the attack on our Parliament? Mr Speaker, I agreed for a second with the Right Honourable Gentleman because he said uh, Scotland said no and they meant it and he was right. They said... 
people of Scotland said no to independence in 2014, and they meant it, and they and they meant it because they were told it was a once in a by both by Alex Salmond and his protege Nicola Sturgeon. They were told it was a, and indeed by the right on the they were told it was a once in a generation event. And the people of Scotland did it because they know full well that nine billion pounds net come from the UK to Scotland. Sixty percent of Scotland's trade is with the rest of the UK, and and they know they can see the vast investments in manufacturing that come from the UK to Scotland, whether it's in Recife, one and a half billion in building fantastic ships in Recife, or, or at Govan, fantastic investments in manufacturing. We support manufacturing in Scotland. They support nothing except manufacturing grievances, and they know it. After being inundated with complaints from the people of Dewsbury and Murfield, would the Prime Minister agree with me that the Northern Rail Service is no longer fit for purpose? Yeah. Yeah. Right, Mr. Mr Speaker, I can confirm with my, uh, my, my honourable friend that we have indeed started a process that could indeed either result in stripping Northern Rail of its franchising of its franchise or issuing them with a very different form of contract. Both myself and indeed the Northern Powerhouse Minister are concerned that power cables over the time are a real barrier to businesses securing work for large renewable energy structures. Will the Prime Minister, through his good offices, undertake to support the National Grid's energy transmissions bid to Ofgem for permanent removal of the cables? and to unlock the potential of the time. Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, she's absolutely right to raise this issue with me. Uh, of course, it's uh, right that these decisions are in independently made uh, by Ofgem, but I appreciate the problem uh, that she raises and uh, will do whatever we can to ensure that it is sorted out as fast as possible. Sarah Dines. My right honourable friend will know, will know that the quarries of the Peak District provide a huge proportion of the national building and mineral needs of this great nation. We would be delighted to see him in the Derbyshire Dales, to see at first hand the working men and women that work at the quarry face. They will be at the heart of the post-Brexit economy, as well as looking at the need for my local Ashbourne bypass. This is necessary to deliver the um, Brexit to the people. Doesn't it show that the support for these hard-working people are the real Conservatives and that this party is the party Stop. of order. the working order? Can I just say, Prime Ministers are going to run on because of this. Please, they've got to be short questions. I will work with members, but members have got to work with the Chair. Prime Minister. Thank you. Well, I, I thank my honourable friend very much for what she has said. I will certainly do whatever I can uh, to see her in, in Derbyshire Dells as fast as possible uh, and indeed to get to the bottom of uh, what we can do to support the bypass at Ashbourne. And she's quite right, we speak for working people, Mr Speaker, and I thought it was very surprised, sad and surprising, that the President of the Durham Miners Gala uh, should say the other day the Conservative MPs are not welcome. I hope, I hope my, the right honourable gentleman, the Leader of the Opposition, will dissociate himself strongly from those remarks. Mr Speaker, this week the Cater Speed Surge in Campston was placed in special measures. Such is the extent of the GP crisis in our country that this surgery has had to rely on locums and was found to have three months backlog of new patient files. Will the Prime Minister increase the funding urgently for primary care services so for 4,000 of my constituents who are patients at this surgery 
for their safety, health and well-being. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Speaker, the honourable gentleman raises an excellent point, and, and, and as he knows, we're not only uh, hiring another 50,000 nurses, but 6,000 more, G- more GPs uh, in order to deal with the very problem that he raises. Alex Chalk, yeah. Cheltenham's. Cheltenham's uh, renewable design company supplies low-carbon heating systems like ground source heat pumps. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that we need a successor to the non-domestic renewable heat incentive so that this rollout can accelerate? And we can send a message in this year of COP26 that global Britain will be a force for a greener planet. Absolutely. I congratulate uh, my honourable friend everything he's doing in Cheltenham to encourage uh, renewable heat supplies, including ground uh, source uh, heating. And I can confirm that we are indeed looking uh, for successor arrangements to the renewable heat incentive. Angus Brendan McNeil. I believe, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Brexiteers will be cheered by the fact that a possible trade deal with America might raise GDP by 0.2% and New Zealand Australia by 0.02%. But Brexiteers should be sobered by the fact that such trade deals, if achieved, will only claw back one-thirtieth of what his own government says, leaving the single market and the customs union will cost. Uh, Given that cabinet ministers are now breezily talking about divergence from the biggest trading partner, the 27-country trading bloc, will the Prime Minister commission and publish uh, impact assessments so it is clear to all in pharmaceuticals, aerospace, car manufacturers, ceramics, food and drink, of just what these breezy gambling deals might cost? Mr Speaker, I might take the Honourable Gentleman more seriously if he would deal with the fact that Scotland's trade is 60% with the rest of the uh, the United Kingdom. His his proposals for a break-up of the United Kingdom would necessitate a border at Berwick, and he is proposing that the pensioners of Scotland uh, should have their assets now denominated in a new currency whose name they cannot even specify. The need to prevent the build-up of green algae in the Solent means that local authorities like Tess Valley Borough Council cannot grant planning permission for children's homes, for care facilities and to small self-builders. There is a blockage in the system and I would like to urge my right honourable friend to get out his plunger and make sure that DEFRA, MHCLG, Natural England and the Environment Agency are all working together to protect our waterways but to make sure that housing commitments can be met. We will make sure that uh, we will make sure that the ministerial dino rod uh, is employed is employed to sort out the, the, the blockage that she is experiencing. But I, 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 I the, on, it is very important that we deal simultaneously with with nitrate neutrality, that we satisfy our, our environmental needs, whilst also ensuring that uh, her community gets the housing that it needs. I think there is a way forward, and I'd be happy to take it up with her. Holly Lynch. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Rail users in Halifax and across the north are suffering every week due to this government's failure to truly invest in rail infrastructure over the last decade. The north now needs both HS2 and Northern Powerhouse Rail to make a real start in tackling the north-south divide. Will the Prime Minister commit to publishing the already leaked Okavir report this week and commit to delivering both these projects in full? delivering a rail service which is fit for purpose for my constituents and for the North. Uh, 
Mr. Speaker, I think she's raising a very important issue. We are investing in £48 billion, a record £48 billion already in, uh, in rail services, excluding uh, HS2. It's right that we should look at the value that this country could get from a scheme as costly as HS2, rising now uh, to £100 billion. I can assure her that the OKV report will indeed be published in full in due course. Craig Wetchiger. Misery is a polite word. Misery is a polite word to explain the daily commuting experience of those using the Calder Valley train line. It's not just cancelled train, late trains, or even broken down trains, it's infrastructure. Will my right honourable friend uh, sit down with me and the trains minister to see how heads can be knocked together to finally clear the bottleneck for the £3.9 billion Transpennine upgrade, which is at a standstill? Minister. Well, uh, Mr. Speaker, my my honourable friend really makes a very good point and and, and follows uh, the honourable. Lady, uh, we are indeed uh, committed to improving the Trans Pennine route and will be investing very uh, considerable sums to ensure that is done. Marshal de Cordova. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. A damning inspection by Ofsted and the CQC concluded that Wandsworth Council's SEND provision is weak and requires significant improvement. There is a backlog of 170 outstanding education and healthcare plan assessments. And when those assessments have been carried out, like my young constituent with autism, he is being forced to wait months before that plan is implemented. It is scandalous that these children are not getting a decent education. So does the Prime Minister agree with me that every child with a special education need or disability should have the right to a good education and will he address the funding shortfall in SEND provision? Yeah, Minister. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, I, I remind the Honourable Lady that uh, this Government is putting another £780 million into SEND. We're encouraging the creation of more SEND schools across the country. And uh, it, it is a paradox, of course, that Ofsted, which she mentions, Ofsted is the best guarantor and protector of children of all abilities, Mr Speaker, and the manifesto to which that party is still committed proposes to abolish Ofsted. James Sunderland. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister will know that the Bracknell constituency is the proud home of over 150 internationally focused companies. Could he please reassure the House of what is being done to develop new post-Brexit worldwide trade deals for the benefit of everyone in Bracknell, Crowthorne, Finch Hampstead, Sandhurst and, of course, right across the UK? Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, from the 31st of this month we will begin the process of negotiating FTAs, free trade agreements, not just with the EU but with friends and partners around the world so that Bracknell is at the epicentre of global free trade. Diana Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Yeah, Speaker. Yeah, yeah. The Prime Minister has said he wants to be known as a Brexity Hezer. So, on that basis, will the Prime Minister commit to the uh, sustained support for the Humber Docklands that Michael Heseltine gave to the London Docklands to transform them it, from the 1980s onwards? Yeah. Prime Minister. If she raises a very important point, uh, Mr. Speaker, and uh, that is amongst the schemes that we are certainly uh, looking at. And as, uh, as you know, Mr. Speaker, uh, we are looking also at the potential uh, for free ports around the country, which can deliver a great deal of benefit to coastal communities. Julian Knight. Solihull is next to Britain's second biggest city. 
Yet many of my constituents, myself included, struggle to get adequate broadband, something that's repeated across this House. Does the Prime Minister agree with me? This is a matter that needs intense parliamentary scrutiny. And will he commit to put the government's shoulder to the wheel to get providers to improve our country's broadband? Uh, well, Mr Speaker, together with the Secretary of State for DCMS, I chaired a meeting only a couple of days ago uh, with all the broadband providers, and it would be fair to say that we uh, collectively wielded the uh, nut over their heads, Mr Speaker, because I, I, I agree with my honourable friend. We need to make progress. We will make progress. We will deliver gigabit broadband, £5 billion, going to that programme over the next five years. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last week, the Prime Minister didn't know anything about a plan to dump radioactive waste in my Stockton North constituency. But I hope he remembers when I told him a few weeks ago that men in his constituency live 14 years longer than in mine in my request for a new hospital. Just when is he going to end the scandal that means that Teesside men have the same life expectancy as those in Ethiopia and tackle the health inequalities in our area? Minister. Well, um, Mr Speaker, I may say to the Honourable Gentleman, he, he, his point is absolutely valid and the discrepancy in life expectancy in this country is a disgrace. Uh, but it is coming down and it will come down. And life expectancy overall is at an all-time high. At an all-time high. On, the, on the specific issue he raises about the disposal of nuclear waste, uh, Mr Speaker, I understand that my Honourable Friend, the Minister for the Environment, has written uh, to the Honourable Gentleman about that issue. Amanda Solloway. Thank you, Mr Speaker. But it's been a long time since I was a teenager, and my memory has faded. And my memory has faded over the years. And yet I still remember the embarrassment and shame that I felt each month when I had my period. We couldn't afford sanitary products, and I was forced to use toilet paper or when we didn't have that newspaper. Would the Prime Minister agree with me and acknowledge the work of Amika George? founder of Free Periods Campaign Group, which means that no young woman of school age in this country should ever have to feel the shame I felt and remember all those years ago. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, I congratulate my honourable friend on the campaign that she is waging on this, on this issue, and I'm delighted to, to tell her that free period products are to be made available to all schools and colleges in England, uh, so that we can ensure no, no young person's uh, education is disrupted by their period. I'd like to pay particular tribute to the work of Amika George, uh, who's done so much to bring about change. And I just remind the House that, of course, it's when we get Brexit done, which we will, and which they would still block, Mr Speaker, that we will be able to cut VAT on sanitary products and make period products cheaper for everybody in the country. Sir Geoffrey Donaldson. Mr Speaker, uh, as we approach uh, uh, the moment when we leave the European Union, the Prime Minister will be aware of concerns in Northern Ireland. And we welcome his assurance that there will continue to be unfettered access for Northern Ireland businesses to the UK single market. But does that commitment also apply to goods moving from Great Britain to Northern Ireland? Uh, Minister. Em emphatically, Mr Speaker, it does. 